We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into another episode of the Goodman and Hummel podcast. I'm Jeff Goodman. He is Robbie Hummel, and uh, we have a special guest today, none other than uh, Psycho T, Tyler Hansborough, who has uh, kind of moved into the, the media space a little bit, following the footsteps of, of Hummel. Hopefully, you can do better than Hummel because uh, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be that difficult. Although, listen, here's something, Tyler. While one of your records fell this past weekend, Robbie actually was part of setting a record. How about that? Rob, you want, you want to tell them the big record you were part of? Oh (laughs) yeah. Uh, So I did the, I did the the Tulsa and Tulane game and they had the, the world's largest pizza party before the game. (laughs) Not the same as Tyler's record, but you know, Hey, what an honor to be a part of it. What an honor. (laughs) Huge huge record. Um, Whatever record, right, right, Tyler. If it's hey, record, records are record. meant to be broken, uh, so we'll see. Uh, maybe be part of that again sometime. Yeah, that's right. So. I hope so. What, what was <laughs> it, Rob? Before I get on to Tyler and John Wall, you have to explain this pizza party thing, dude. I I, honestly, I mean, at the time, Tulane or, or sorry, Tulsa has yeah. has been through some struggles. They were zero and six in the American. Um, it was like a seven o'clock game. And they're playing Tulane, who's probably a top four team in the American this year. Um, and I was thinking that it was going to be a, a poor crowd because of, you know, Tulsa's record. And their SID said, no, we're expecting 6,000 people for the game. And in my mind, I was like, there's no chance there's going to be 6,000 people here. We walked in there with 85 minutes until the game started. And the stadium, I sent you a photo of it. Because I I was shocked. This place was packed. There was people everywhere. Now, some of them just ate the pizza and left and didn't come to the game. <laughs> but there was a pretty good crowd. And there I think they had 3,500, maybe 4,000 people there for the uh, for the pizza party. So, how many, how yeah. many slices did you eat? At halftime, we had two each. <laughs> the pizza was good. Um, but yeah, they, they had, you had to eat two small pieces of pizza and then a glass of water and they had people in every road checking it. I've never seen, but there was the, the guy that like runs the Guinness book of world records. He was, really? he was there counting him up. He gave him the award. He gave him the award. Tyler, what, what's the, the most 
slices of pizza you've ever eaten in one sitting. You know, I used to eat that before. Uh, that was my uh, – that's what I ate the night before a game usually. Um, really? In college especially. I don't know why. Um, it was definitely more than two. And I like the, uh, <laughs> no the black the black box from uh, Domino's, the yeah. solid pizza. Uh, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, I used to go to that one. I mean, I could probably house like – I mean, one of those full the, – the, the large Domino's. That I mean, back in the day, you could you could take care of that pretty easy, right? It, it makes a difference, though. You know, if it's if it's thick crust or thin crust, you know, that all true. plays a factor. Because if it's thin crust, you can down a whole pizza. But if it's yeah. thick crust, you've got to watch yourself because you can get real full, uh, real quick, and that kind of slows you down. And then yeah, you the Chicago uh, pizza, the Chicago yeah, pizza, Chicago will get you there. Yeah, yeah, that stuff is that's like a meal. One one slice is like a full full meal. Yeah. Um. All right. Let. Let's get into it. We got we got plenty of shit to get to, Tyler. Some serious, some not so serious. But you were you were in the news recently. It was uh, impressive. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I see your name pop up in the national news because John Wall did a podcast, and he said that there was some sort of um, meeting between the two of you one night years and years ago when he was a recruit uh, at a bar, maybe in Carolina. I don't. I didn't even see the whole story. I just saw that. He said that you basically gave him the Heisman at, at, at a bar or something like that. Explain this thing and what, what the hell happened. Yeah, it, it first of all, it did not happen. That's not an interaction that I had. Just to be clear, the story is false. Um, and the, uh, the thought of me sitting around with my homeboys, uh, first of all, because if anybody knew me, it wasn't like I was, you know, uh, strolling around with the posse. I mean, it was, you know, just a few teammates or whatever. I'm not, uh, you and Bobby, it was you yeah, and Bobby Frazier. Yeah. Just me and Bobby. Uh, but you know, it's, uh, I finally had some accusations come out and, I, and Theo, you got to give him credit, man. He, that guy went on his podcast and just sprayed a bunch of stuff out there. But yeah, I mean, I have no way of saying this is not true. I, uh, I don't know how to spin it. I don't know how to, to say it. And I've called my teammates and I've actually asked them, I was like, Hey, when did John wall come to campus? Like, did he ever take a visit? None of them can recall him ever being there. So maybe the, if this interaction, we had an interaction uh, somewhere because I know he's from Raleigh, but still, I never went to Raleigh in college. He would have had to come over to uh, Chapel Hill. And he did say it was after a national championship. Uh, so it would have been after my senior year um, sometime in there but no no one can recall him even ty i mean uh the dg talked to him uh talked to frazier talked to marcus skinner no one can recall him uh being on campus you were, well, you were why would why would he make that up something. right you got to check with the teammates make sure yeah why would he make it up i i can i can't answer that and uh i don't know why i mean I, I talked to my on my podcast uh, with my co-host. We've been killing Calipari. We think he's done an awful job at Kentucky, and you know he's starting to turn it around. But we've been pretty critical of him, and we don't know if that's uh, a reason or not. But we we just can't pinpoint it. Very very strange. Very Wild. strange out of nowhere. <laughs> it really is. Uh, you've been you've been rehabbing in Kentucky. You had knee surgery, right? Yeah, I've had um this would be my third one. I've I've had a I have a bad left wheel basically and there's not a lot of cartilage left so I'm trying to 
uh, you know, figure that out and how to get the swelling down and the pain. So that's what it, I'm, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Do you, do you still play or is it one of those things where now because of that, you, you don't, do you play pickup or, or whatever? I can't even play for enjoyment right now. It's right. uh yeah. And, and um, that's what I've been dealing with the past probably a year and a half is just trying to get healthy. And uh, I wanted to get healthy enough to where I could go back and play maybe somewhere overseas, nice or whatever. Um, but right now, you know, I'm just trying to, you get healthy enough where I'm not having pain when I take my first few steps out of bed. Where was the last time that you you did play, Tyler? Was that were you in in China? Is that right? Yeah, I was in China uh, when COVID hit, and I haven't been back since. And I really enjoyed playing in China. China is a great league. Uh, it's very competitive. They love basketball, and uh, there's a lot of imports over there uh, that compete and it, it is a fun game over in China. It's totally different than the NBA in college. It's extremely physical. It's kind of like the NBA in the, the eighties, uh, where the guys just foul each other. It's physical. It's a tough league. I enjoyed it. So you fit in like in China, it was a perfect league for you is what you're saying. It's, it's built for bangers. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, China was a good league. I mean, I had to develop my game a little bit to, you know, be able to score in different areas because the imports, uh, there's a lot of emphasis on the imports, you know, having to score. That's a big deal in China. And so, uh, you know, I really expanded and grew my game a little bit to kind of cater to China as well. Is it fair, Tyler, to say that if if you're going to play in China, you've got to either be able to score 30 a game, dunk like crazy, or or be like seven foot four. Is that fair to say that that's what they're looking for out out of the Americans? It's no question you got to be able to score. Uh, they put a lot of emphasis on, like like I said, being able to score. But also they do like size. And so if you bring like a 7-4, I know uh, Taka Falls is over there uh, playing really well. Uh, Jimmer Ferdette was a great player over there. Somebody could really score, light it up. Uh, I think Daniel Gibson was really good over there. Uh, Kyle Fogg is a teammate that I had who's done really well, really improved over in China. Um yeah, scoring is a huge deal. And also from the bigs, it looks like, you know, a big that's, you know, athletic and block a lot of shots uh, does really well in China, too. All right. So your, your record did fall over the weekend to uh, Armando Baycott at Carolina, leading uh, all time Carolina rebounder. Uh, he's got twelve hundred twenty one. Now you had twelve hundred nineteen. Just so we're aware, Hummel had eight hundred sixty two, which is actually way more than I thought he'd have. When I when I intended to look it up, I thought it would be somewhere in the four or five hundred range. You know, this soft dude who was out there shooting threes, eight sixty two. Rob, I'm impressed. The disrespect. I mean, we weren't a good rebounding team. Somebody had to go get the ball. Good I mean, point. I wasn't in this. I wasn't in the same class as as guys like Baycott or, or Tyler. But I mean, you had to. Somebody had to rebound for us. <laughs> so. Very. Very impressive. Listen, all all the respect in the world. Eight sixty two. I mean, damn, that's that's pretty good, Tyler. Um, what did it mean? I know, you know, when when you broke the all time uh, scoring record for Carolina, Phil Ford was there, and mm-hmm. Phil Ford is like a god in, in Carolina. He is it. Like you talk about all the great players, even MJ in a way. Phil Ford is kind of that guy that they put on a pedestal because of what he did and how he did it. Um, how much did him being there uh, make you have to be there in a way for Mondo when he broke this record? Well, 
knowing, like I said, um, I said this earlier, Phil Ford, first of all, from a player perspective at Carolina, I think no one set the foundation more than he did with the four corners uh, coming in, probably one of Dean Smith's most popular players and really put Carolina on the map. And he's still very involved with the program. I see Phil a lot, um, and I talk to him. He's a great person. He's probably my all-time favorite Tar Heel. And when I broke his scoring record, I thought it was a really cool deal that he was uh, at the game. They stopped the game. He presented me the ball. They had a little ceremony. It was really cool. And it meant more to me looking back on that situation once I was done playing, kind of reflecting on my career. And – this is a big deal. Rebounding record's a big deal. I mean, rebounds aren't easy. The game has changed a little bit. But Armando, there's no way putting it around, hey, this guy got this. I mean, you can make an argument that scores are a little selfish. They got to be. And it's hard to make an argument that rebounding is selfish. And so I was extremely happy for Armando. He's done an unbelievable job. And also, he put the work in. Like, the way he handles contact now versus freshman year is unbelievable. I mean, he's gotten stronger. Uh, he's really, yes, he's much tougher. I mean, I remember watching him, uh, his freshman year, take a few hits and kind of have to come out of the game. Now he takes some hits. People are bouncing off of him, uh, kind of fires him up. And I've just really seen him develop, uh, not only physically, but, uh, mentally as a player, I feel like mentally he's much tougher in a better place. And, you know, for him to put that amount of work in and to get where he is, uh, at his senior year has been incredible. And I was extremely happy for him. Uh, these records are be broke. Armando's rebounding record will be broken, and hopefully he can come back and present that ball to whoever breaks it as well. But uh, no, I was extremely happy for him. Do you think Tyler that Carolina can can run it back and, and get to the I final one four more. again? Rob, I got one more before we get to that. Before we get okay. to Carolina, I saw uh, Armando told a story after about the first time you guys played pickup. Did you hear about this? Do you remember this story where he had to end up going to the hospital because uh, he needed stitches in his mouth and you knocked some teeth loose or something? You remember this? I do. Um, it's kind of funny because at first I didn't. And I was like, man. And then my teammate was like, I was there that day when you Dewey Burke. And uh, yeah, I, it was one of those things where I caught him with an elbow, just perfect. And I felt bad. Uh Cause it did. I mean, it was, I mean, I could tell, you know, when you get somebody with an elbow, uh, I knew it was bad, but, uh, I did feel bad about that, but yeah, I remember that perfectly. We're just mixing it up in the post and I, I caught him with an elbow. That's the only time you've ever caught anybody with an elbow, right? (laughs) It happens. It happens. (laughs) Part of the game. Yes. Tyler, do you think that this Carolina team can get back to the final four and they lost four in a row in in late November, but they've won eight of 10. Um, Do you think that they can kind of figure it out like they did last year and and make it back to, to the biggest stage in college hoops? Can they? Yes. Are they capable? Yes. Um, Will it happen? There's some things that has to me. When I look at this team, I think they're, they play very well at home and I would like to see, uh, like I said, I always say this on my podcast, we've got to be able to take the show on the road. And for a group, when I say, when I look at this team, what I was really excited about before the season is they're one of the few teams that had a lot of players coming back in this you know, college basketball where you have guys that can just transfer and go. No, we had a lot of the same core guys except for Brady Manick uh, to come back. And so I was really excited because I felt like 
this team, the chemistry was going to be there and clicking from the start. But it seems like, you know, guys have been injured. They've been in and out. Uh, some guys have been struggling. But I think one big key who uh, who has shown a lot of improvement is R.J. Davis. Uh, he's had 10 points every game except for one game this year. And I've said – uh, actually on the, the field of 68, I said that there's no bigger X factor in the country to me than R.J. Davis. When R.J. Davis is is clicking, playing well, scoring, sharing the ball, I think this team is uh, unbelievably hard to beat. And, uh, you know, I do think if Pete Nance gets rolling and really uh, is able to spread the floor and open it up for Armando, I think this team's going to be tough. And that's where I could see them making a deep run in the tournament again. Um but I, I, I will say that one of the big things that uh, I think is going to play a factor is also assist. I think being able to share the ball, push it, and, you know, score in a flow situation where guys are kind of moving, you know, in the same kind of like on a on a string, moving that's productive, moving without the ball and uh, the team sharing it. I, I think we have gotten a little bit of too much ISO lately. But I think if this team shares it and plays well, I think they can make a deep run. If you were Hubert, how would you handle coaching Caleb Love? Like, what would you do? You know, I feel like he's got too much freedom and he's had too much freedom. And and again, some games, obviously, we saw it last year in the tournament. He can carry you by himself. Other games, he can shoot you out of the game. And then there's the defensive end, Tyler. How do you – like – You've seen him a ton now. How do you explain this Caleb Love dilemma, which is kind of what it is in a way, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, Caleb's kind of, you know, been taking it a little bit. Um, And I always feel bad. Let me say this. I always feel bad being negative at all about a college player. Okay, it's so hard. High school player, the, the rule is high school player, you can never say a bad word about. College player, you know, you try to be real, but you try to never make it personal. And that's why I'm asking from Hubert's perspective, how do you handle him? Because he does have free reign. Yeah, well, I've always said that, you know, amateur athletes shouldn't really be criticized by the media. Yep. But now the NIL has changed. And I think, you know, with with money involved, I think you can look at certain situations and say, hey, this guy's not playing well. Uh but I, I think the one thing about Caleb is one thing he's, he's, he doesn't show a lot of emotion. So sometimes people take his body language, uh, you know, out of perspective because he's not like a big, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you can see sometimes where he's frustrated, especially, uh, you know, lately. But I, I think sometimes we're putting too much emphasis on scoring. And I think if Caleb were to stop focusing so much on scoring and just pushing the ball, getting his teammates involved and things like that, I think you would see uh, more things open up for him. And I think scoring would be uh, much easier at times. And I think people put too much, especially college players, they put so much emphasis on scoring. It's like they live or die by uh, how many points they have a game. You can impact the game in so many other ways than just scoring. And, you know, if I were that, I, I think Caleb's gotten a lot better defensively. And I think he's starting to bring it more defensively. And I think, if he finds other areas to impact the game in a positive manner, uh, I think the scoring scoring's going to come. And I think he's too good of a player uh, to not really score or be effective scoring. I think it's just going to come in a matter of time. Uh, but, you know, I, I will say um, 
there's been a lot of other guys that kind of have stepped up like RJ. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know what the, uh, what the key is, but I think if we can get some depth off the bench, uh, Jalen Washington had a good game against uh, Virginia when Armando went down and Seth Trimble has showed some, um, some, some moments where he can really help the team. Those two guys, I think if they can come in and kind of help a little bit and take a pressure off some of this main core, I think that would be big too. Isn't it amazing, Tyler, how just making the right play would probably impress an NBA scout or an NBA GM more so than scoring 20 points on 20 shots? <laughs> like it, it is. And it, it's like the college kids, I'm I'm like, man, you know what? You know, they, they put such emphasis on like, hey, how do we get the ball inside to somebody? Well, how about you run the floor hard, get good position, seal, duck in. That's just old school basketball yep. 101 like knowing how to move without the ball, you know, not only is it going to open up the the game for you, but also for your teammates as well. And I think when uh, you impact the game in other ways, besides scoring, scoring is going to come. You just, it's just going to happen. What was the best part of playing for Roy Williams? Um, man, probably for one, I think coach Williams, is the most honest person I know, uh, so that was, that was good, but also the way he approached the game, as far as how competitive he was, uh, you know, we knew that the one thing that I like looking back on my college career is if we took a loss, we knew the next day was going to be tough. We knew like, those are the things that we laugh about now is like how much we used to run after we lost to Miami, uh, or, you know, we lost to Virginia tech. We come back and we're just on the line, uh, laughing about it. And, uh, I, I do think that's an aspect in today's game where, coaches aren't as hard on kids because uh, of the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, looking back, uh, all those things made you tougher and they kind of shaped you as a person, as a player as well. And so, you know, I, I miss those tough practices and, and the conditioning tests and things like that. That's, that's something that I really enjoyed about playing with him. It's one of the things Roy would always tell me too. Every time he saw me, he was so proud about the fact that nobody had ever transferred away from Carolina out of his program. He would say it all the time. And then obviously it got to a point where guys started leaving. And I really do think that affected him. That had a major impact on him retiring when he did. Um, I put out a tweet, Tyler, I don't know, a month or so ago. And it was honestly, it was not intended to be controversial at all. It was, it was just pointing out two different aspects of in retirement, how Roy is out there at every game. It, it could be, Carolina games, it could be Wes Miller's game at Cincy. It could be a game at a casino that he could go play craps or blackjack or whatever. Um, but he's everywhere and, and he's having fun in the in the stands. They're showing him with Wanda, his wife, dancing. And then you got Kay, who we haven't seen in a game yet. Now I know it's year one. You know, again, the tweet was not intended to disparage either one. I was just showing how different guys, Hall of Famers, have completely different ways of riding into the sunset. What, what's it like for you seeing Roy out there as much as he is having fun, you know, supporting and just literally looking like a fan out there? It, it's uh, It has been really cool to see Coach Williams at all. I mean, it feels like he's at every big-time game. Uh, first of all, he loves this university, uh, loves the community, so that, that makes it easy as well. But also, I mean – you know, he, he still feels connected in a big way. Uh, he's, he's wants to support Hubert. And, uh, the one thing, uh, that's really changed is 
Coach Williams has never been a phone guy. And I mean, hates his phone. Sometimes he doesn't know how. There's a story one time that he was getting frustrated on how to work a cell phone. So he just rolls his window down, just throws his whole cell phone out the window, <laughs> which I thought was, was pretty funny. I don't know if it's true, but he called me yesterday and talked to me for 15 minutes. And to think that that would ever happen while he's coaching, uh, he would talk to me, but I mean, he was never a, you know, a, a big talker for 15 minutes. I, I couldn't believe it. Well, it's because uh, you couldn't talk for 15 minutes. No, no, don't no that I was, on him. You when I'm having a conversation <laughs> for 15 minutes when you were in college. Hey, I did look at my phone. I was like, man, it's 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> but uh, now, it, and also the other thing about Kay, and Kay's kind of always had this perception of kind of this, this very intense, laser-focused, kind of dark guy. And I don't, I don't think it's in his personality. And Coach Williams is different. Like, you see Coach Williams dancing a little bit, mixing it up, yeah. laughing. That's that's just not Coach K to me. And I think that's kind of played into, you know, as I don't know K uh, very well besides playing against him. But the whole perception about K is like kind of this, this dark, intense dude. And the one thing about Duke is when I watch him this year, and I've talked about it on my podcast, is – Shire doesn't give like Shire seems like a good dude. Now, Kay, you can make an argument like when you watch a Duke game, you it's just a matter of time before you're going to see a timeout or you're going to see him up in a ref's face just handing it to him. And you can read his lips. I mean, you know, you'd have to bleep out half the conversation uh, if he is mic'd up. And that's a from a weird fan point. I kind of like that aspect that Kay brought to Duke, like that dark because he kind of carried it around uh, and. I've been kind of interested to see if Shire will be able to, you know, maintain that or go a different direction. But yeah, I, I just don't think it's in uh, Kay's personality to kind of be like that. Do you have I a great Kay story, for, Tyler? Ahead, Do you have a great Kay? Like you said, you don't really know him well. Was there ever an interaction like with Kay much? No, I, I think after he's congratulated me after the scoring record, uh, but besides, I haven't had much of an interaction with Coach K. I, I just don't think he's out in the public that much. Yeah, Tyler, I, I want to ask you about the Duke stuff with with Gerald Henderson. I remember watching when I when I was in college because I was in college at the same time as you were. And first of all, was there a backstory to that? Did you have any history with him before that incident happened on the court? No history. No history with Gerald. So that came yeah. out of total nowhere. Where he he basically punches you in the face during <laughs> during the game. Uh, did he get ejected, or was that just a flagrant one? Uh, no, he got ejected. He got I ejected. can't imagine what would happen in today's game. Uh, but yeah, they they threw him out, and um, there was uh, no history. But for years, I've always wanted to get him back, and it, it wasn't. It came out of kind of the person I am, and it wasn't anything you know, malicious, but I knew like, Hey, if I were going to play against Gerald, I'm going to bring it. And also if I get a chance, I'm going to try and drill him. And I I think that's an old school mentality. Uh, but you know, (laughs) there's no hard feelings. It's not like, I don't like Gerald. It's just the way I am. Uh, if you get me, I'll try to get you too. And, but the other thing is off the court, me and Gerald have talked and we're, we've been pretty cool. We actually did a, tried to do a podcast when all that successful, but, uh, what do you mean? (laughs) Tried? Yeah, we did. We we covered. We, we tried to uh, cover. I covered North Carolina. He covered Duke, and we did a podcast a few years ago. Uh, but Gerald's a good dude. Uh, that's 
that's behind us now. We're both kind of wow. I'm impressed. To, I'm impressed that you could that you could get past that. I, I would struggle. I, I would look at that dude and be like, I hate this guy. <laughs> Just uh, and I don't know Gerald. But anyone who punched me in the face during the game, that I props to you for for forgiving him and, and moving on. No, it, it's uh even during the incident, maybe a year or two, I I would have said something like that. But uh, afterwards, it was you know as a person, no, I, I, no, there was nothing like that. And actually, Gerald's one of the most competitive players I played against at Duke, and so I really respected him from that. And I knew. Even before he hit me, Gerald was a problem. Like he was athletic. He could. He's score. an unbelievable athlete. Yeah, he's he, one he of, made a he made a move against us. We played them in the Big Ten AC Challenge, and I swear to God, it probably wasn't as crazy as it seemed. But on the floor, I thought he did the spin move, and it looked like he finger rolled it down to the basket. Like he was looking down on the rim, and I'm sure it wasn't. But it just seemed like it. I was, it was like, how Holy low shit. you were to the floor, Rob. <laughs> that that just... that hurts too. Yes, that's that's part of it. But it was it was an incredible move. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the most athletic people, uh, athletic players in college. I mean, he, he was an unbelievable freak. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't ever carry anything against him as a person. But, yeah, as a player and the, the type of player I was, yeah, I would try to get him back. I think I've asked you this question before. Maybe I haven't. I don't remember. Give, give me the time when you were – and I know you didn't go to bars that much, but you, you'd be in Chapel Hill, whatever – Give me the time when you kind of got into it with a with a Duke fan, player, whatever, who maybe said something to you when when they were drunk, you're out. It could even be like on Franklin Street, not even, you know, one, two in the morning. There had to be a bunch of those. No, when, when Duke fans went at you? Uh, I can't remember. There was a Duke player that was, you know, we went out one time and, you know, our, we, we kind of have our, you know, our scene, um, where we used to go to and, and, uh, yeah, I went out, you know, I went out in college. Um, so we were at this, this bar we used to go to and there was a Duke player and, uh, you know, at first I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, after a few drinks, no, this is our bar. What is he trying to do in here? You know, he's just, I mean, go back to Duke, man. You can come to Carolina. Like this is this is where we go to school. I mean, if you want to come here, come here. Don't don't come over here and try to hang out and party with us. Uh, and then things kind of whatever things kind of escalated. But there was there was nothing. I mean, you know how it is when you're in college, kid. We're not, we're not saying uh, who the player was. No. Uh, Since it didn't escalate anyway, do you remember who it was? No. Can't remember who it was. Yeah. It was a, right, definitely right. a big though. I'm trying to think who that could be, like Zubek. <laughs> who, who could be the potential? Who, who it would have been funny if it was Zubek. Gosh, uh. <laughs> who's who's the Duke player? Again, now that you've kind of made up with Gerald a little bit, who who's the Duke player that you just hated the most back then, other than Gerald? Huh. Um. Let me see. They didn't have a lot of bigs that could really go up against you then. You know, I mean, it'd right? be like it'd be Lance Thomas and it would be right. Zubek. Those would be yeah. the two. It, I would say I would say uh Paulus. I mean, he was kind of the typical, you know, slap the floor. Uh he really embodied Duke at the time. And uh he was one of those those guys that, you know, kind of, you know, the Duke player that slaps the floor and then calls the huddle and uh you know, so I, it would probably fall along there, but uh, the Duke player that I hated obviously was Gerald after he drilled me. But 
I would say Paul's fell in that category. There was a lot of, you know, dislike towards him. Tyler, I want, I want to ask you about you and your brother, Ben. I got to know Ben a little bit just through uh, my high school teammate with Scott Martin. He played with him in Notre Dame. So mm-hmm. he obviously, I think they're roommates actually uh, in South Bend. <laughs> what was what was the craziest thing you guys did? Because I know the stories about Ben are pretty hilarious. And I even got to know him a little bit working out with him in Indianapolis. And he, I mean, he's just, he's one of the funnier people I've ever been around. So I know you guys did some crazy stuff growing up. Well, first of all, me and Ben are totally different. Ben is a, Ben, Ben will talk a ton of smack to you. He's a huge shit talker. Uh, And uh, he was a go out. I mean, he was a totally 180 personality. Uh, And I can't imagine the stories that uh, some of your teammates have, but no, I mean, the craziest, I mean, I played with Ben in high school. Ben would, Ben would run his mouth. I mean, and, uh, he would talk more smack than anybody. Uh, and so I knew like, I didn't have to really talk a lot of shit in high school because we knew it was going to come from Ben or my other teammate. I had another teammate. It was like six, nine, 280 pounds fo- the football player Ross. So he, he ran his mouth a ton too. And so I, I was always kind of with them, but now, Ben was one of my favorite teammates ever, and he was competitive. Uh, he was one of those guys that if I wasn't playing up to expectation, he'd come over and just cuss me out right there. And that was that's the one thing about Ben that uh, he means well, but his delivery isn't always appropriate or uh, <laughs> it can be taken out of context. But he's just trying to get somebody going, and uh, – that uh, that doesn't always come out right from him, but he is a, he was a great teammate. I, I want to tell you about what happened. He rolled through Indianapolis. I was doing my pre-draft stuff at St. Vincent's, which was a pretty good place to be. They used to have a big NBA pre-draft deal, and Ed Schilling was the guy who would work us out. And Ed's been an assistant at UCLA, and he was assistant for Calipari, I think, at UMass. And he's now, I believe, oh, he's at Grand Canyon now with Bryce Drew. So he's kind of he's been a college coach the last 15 years, but at the time he he was running the workout stuff. And Ben, for whatever reason, was just rolling through Indianapolis and he was only there for two days. But Ed was big on we do these two ball ball handling drills, and he would he would chart you every day. He'd record. So we'd be like, Tyler, what'd you get? And you'd say, you know, I did 64 dribbles of two ball stuff. And and he would just keep track to show how you've improved. So uh, ben was second in line, and if you Jeff probably remembers, Jake Kelly went to Iowa. He's a Carmel kid. He's from Indiana, and he was a really talented player. But his his mom died in a plane crash, and he transferred back to Indiana State. And I don't think he ever played professionally, but he he did like kind of give it a go. So Jake was first in line, and we do like thirty seconds of this two ball drill, and Ed gets the Ed gets done with the timer. He's like, all right. Uh, Ben, what, what'd you get? And Ben's like, got his chest puffed out. He's like, 82. And he goes, all right, Jake, what'd you get? And Jake's like, I got 84. And Ben freaks. He's like, the fuck he did? He didn't <laughs> fuck. I, I counted his. I know he didn't have 84. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, this is impressive because Ben is not only counting his dribbles, but also <laughs> Jake's dribbles. And Jake's like the nicest guy in the world. And Ben is just free. But that's how competitive he was. Oh, yeah. Was just He was a competitive dude. And he... He wasn't going to stand for that, which it was mm-hmm. hilarious. I, I actually, we play a ton of pickleball. And so I'm his pickleball partner <laughs> and uh, he knows all my flaws. And so we get so pissed off at each other 
that he'll stop the game. And he's like, I'm done. He's like, I'm going on the other team. I'm going against you. And <laughs> then, so we'll have to switch teams when we're playing. And then he'll tell us, you know, his teammate be like, go at his backhand and then dink him. He's like, he has no backhand dink. And then he'll just do it. And he's like, there we go. And then start talking smack to me the whole time. It's, <laughs> If there's he anybody that knows, hey Tyler, if there's anybody that knows you have no backhand, remember it's me. Jeff knows I have no backhand from my ping pong days, and uh, it is uh, killing me on the pickleball court. Uh, work we're working, hey, we're, we're working on it, and uh, I, I literally, Rob, when we played ping pong, I would just every shot would be deep in that corner to his backhand. He got so frustrated <laughs> by the end of it. It was like That's awesome. <laughs> It's amazing me how much pickleball has grown. My dad plays like every day. He he loves it. He loves it. Uh, I've been playing. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with your dad. Uh, have you played yet? Yeah. So my dad turned our basketball court in the backyard into a pickleball court. So he'll take me out there when I'm home, and he will just beat me into submission. It, I, like it's it's like insane. Eleven two, eleven three. I mean, it's not close. You can't judge a book by its cover in pickleball. I mean, I've I've been out to the pickleball park here, and there are some older people that will just work you and they yeah. know the game. They all came from tennis. They know about, you know, placement over power all day. Uh, but I've really been getting pickleball. I'm trying to hone it in with my brother, but and I feel you on that. <laughs> what, what do you remember Tyler from the game against uh, Greg Oden? I remember in high school watching that and, and watching because Conley and Oden were such a big deal, especially in the state of Indiana, right? Lawrence mm -hmm. North was the gold standard for Indiana high school basketball for three seasons because they won three state titles. But after watching the game, I was like, you were clearly the best player on the floor that night. Yeah. I, we actually, my high school team was really good. I mean, yeah, we had, no we had some players and besides me and Ben, we had some other guys. We had a, a D one running back went to SIU. We had another, uh, you know, like that's the big six, nine guy. Uh, he was a football player. Uh, got hurt, could have played D1. Uh, but I remember – what I remember about that game is I knew how athletic Greg was. I played against Greg before. And if anybody remembers Greg in high school, I mean, this dude was – Dude yeah. was a phenom. You it's would swear insane. this guy yes. – this guy was like – you like, man, I don't – man, this guy might be the best. I He's mean, like Bill no. Russell. Like, yeah. I, it, literally, I looked at him and I was like, he was like Bill Russell. Built that yeah. way, like – and, and kind of like you, you guys were similar in your personalities, Tyler. You didn't give a mm -hmm. shit about anything other than playing ball. Yeah. And, and Greg was like a soft-spoken, cool dude. But, I mean, on the court, he made unbelievable plays. And I remember when we're, <laughs> we were playing, we, we put the big, uh, you know, our, our other center on him. I was kind of a more of a four. But when we played, we knew that we we're going to put Ross on him, who was a banger. He was about 6'8", I mean, 270, 280, whatever. And we did a really good job on him in the first half. But I know, like, hey, Greg can turn it on, and he – I mean, he can make highlight plays. And I remember they – when they beat us, I remember uh, I was rooming with Ross, and so we go back to the hotel, and we're sitting there. You know, you got the double beds, and we turn on the TV, and I remember turn on Sports Center, dun 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 and then they just had – Oh, and just dunking on Ross. <laughs> Three different highlights. And then all down our hall, everyone was <laughs> screaming and laughing. And as a high school kid to be on Sports Center, yeah. uh, to watching our game and then seeing uh, those highlights, 
it was absolutely hilarious. But uh, no, that was a that was a really cool experience for my high school team, especially being from such a small town. And then for us to be on that spotlight in our whole community, it meant a lot. And um, obviously, Odin and Conley, I mean, they they did beat us, but that was. What was the final score? It was close, wasn't it? It was close. Uh, I can't remember. It had to be under 12, I think. Yeah, I thought it was like a five, six, seven point game. Yeah, somewhere around there. But yeah, it was a good game. People just do not. We remember how good Odin was. Yeah. But you feel bad. And I, I remember sitting down with him for a while, a few years back, and him finally, like, he's starting to really loosen up now. Kind of like you are, Tyler. You know, mm-hmm. he really is. And, you know, now he's with the Butler program because that mod is there helping out. He was with Ohio State, got his degree. Just a good dude who, again, you know, had a tough road, right? Had a tough road, got hurt. Then, obviously, you know, the alcohol, everything like that, He's 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 had his issues. But Greg was so dominant. I mean, other than LeBron, I would say as a high school player, Greg Oden was the most dominant high school player that I've ever seen, which is, you know. He was on an AAU team that was unbelievable. I mean, his, his, with Eric Gordon and Daquan Cook and Mike Con- I mean, the speeds into Heat were, were crazy good. Yes. They had so much talent. Yeah, he was unbelievable. I mean, he he met the hype, too. Like, I mean, it's, you know, his, his NBA, he went through a lot of injuries and stuff, and I'm glad that he's doing well because also he was a really good guy. I mean, he wasn't, uh, yeah, great guy. you know, he just didn't, uh, you know, he things just turn out trash. that way. Zero. Yeah, none. Uh-uh. Just would dunk on you and go back the other way, right? Like, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing. The Old way school. it's supposed to be done in a way. I mean, I know it's funny because in college, like, you look at it both ways for me. I look at it like you want the, the the enthusiasm, the energy. I don't mind some of the trash talk in college. I don't. And I hate when the refs tee up these kids when they like, even if a stare down, right? A big yeah. dunk. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw it with Trace Jackson, Jackson Davis. They didn't tee him up, but he had a big dunk and he just kind of stared at whoever he dunked on. The Joey Hauser. It was probably, Stop. yeah, it was Joey Hauser, right? And like, <laughs> at least the ref didn't tee him up. But I, I feel like. These refs sometimes just take too much of the fun out of the games. Yeah. Instead of just let them let them have fun as long as it doesn't cross the line. All right, Tyler. No, I'm I'm with you, Jeff. Right? And I think there's a difference between like as I've said this before, like the excitement in the game. When a kid makes a big play, he should be excited. It yeah. shouldn't be like he's in a library or just you know, agreed. Just stale face. I like to see that, but there is a line, and everyone knows it. But the refs. You know, you should give the benefit of the doubt to the kids. And uh, the other thing I've kind of been on that's kind of been like I was watching Purdue yesterday. Zach Eady, he got a charge call on him in the post. And the charge block call this year has been horrendous. And I've been all about it. I think, like, the game has already gotten softer. And do we need – and then they put the flop call in, which contradicts uh, both the charge. So you want guys to take more charges – well, there's going to be some flopping involved. So I think that was a bad way to kind of do it this year. And you know, I, I don't think that the charge call should ever be a point of emphasis. And uh, I've kind of been about that, trying to do clips and show people uh, why I think it's a bad idea. There's there's two rules that have to go. The cylinder rule, because it's just the worst rule ever. And then the flop thing is is really bad, too. It's, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And I think it's uh, – 
some of the flop calls I've seen haven't actually been flops or could have been. Yeah. And to think that late in the game, a ref is going to take a judgment call and make well, a They flop. want no part of that late. No. They're not calling the flop ever late in the game. I said you won't see it under five minutes if it's, five minutes if it's a close game. Yep. Tyler, what, what do you – 10 years from now, what do you want to be doing? Uh, well, uh, I want to be pain-free. I want to be really good at pickleball. And, you know, I don't know if, you know, I'll c- continue to stay around in the, in the media in some aspect, but, uh, you know, I would like to have a job that I really enjoy coming to and, uh, and working at kind of the same way I did basketball. That five Oh rating is coming. The five Oh pickleball rating for Tyler is coming here. Hey, <laughs> hey, we just, uh, me and my brother, we went to a championship game at for the three fives, uh, about a week ago. So that would have bumped us automatically up to four O's, but the five O, you got to get that dink right. Yeah, what, those guys are beef. Hey, what's the scouting report on Ben? Since he says, you know, you have no backhand, which I can confirm. What what is the scouting report on Ben? <laughs> Ben's too aggressive. He gets out of position a lot, and so he tries to dominate shocking. the whole court. That's and, uh, no, that no sounds surprise. accurate for him. And so if you you give them a look away and then go to his side, that's where he's vulnerable. I love it. It's awesome. Do you do you have a best story about Michael Jordan or Larry Bird? Just for because Larry drafted you and, and you played for Charlotte. And obviously Michael is, is around the Carolina program a lot. Uh man. My my favorite story about uh Larry Bird is one time we're stretching and um there was a defensive coach when I was uh with the Pacers who's passed away, Dick Harder, and he was telling me about how he thought I could be, you know, a very good a defensive player and really impact the game uh, defensively. And he thought I could move my feet. And Larry was right there. And he looked at me, he said, hands where I'd give you 50. And just walked away, just, <laughs> just like that. And uh, I always laughed about that. But Bird was so uh, – people – Bird was a great shit talker. I mean, he could – he and his oh, lines were so quick and delivered so well – that he would just say boom kind of be gone but uh bird was great i had a lot of interactions with bird in it and the one thing that i respected about uh larry bird was when i was with the pacers and he was a gm when he was a gm he never missed a home practice he was at every single practice and he wanted to show the team that he was just as committed as anybody and was going to work and so i really really respected that but uh jordan even though Jordan is a Carolina, like Jordan is so tough. Like he has like his, um, you know, he is such a public figure that it's kind of yeah. hard to actually have like a story or interaction with him without like, you know, everyone around with their cameras or something like that. It's just hard. I mean, he's for him. still probably one of the most famous people on the planet, even today, which is yeah, insane. It, he hasn't played in 30 years or 25 years. It's crazy for him just to pull up somewhere, kind of actually have like a, you know, interaction with him, it, it's very rare. And yeah. so I, I don't have many great stories, but the only story I do know is I knew he was always in Charlotte when I could smell the cigar smoke uh, in the hallway. That's about the only thing I knew. Uh, Cause I do <laughs> like the, I, for some reason I like the smell of those cigar smokes. And I always thought it was, uh, I always enjoyed it when I was walking through the halls. They both kind of, I know they're very different. Like you said, Bird was around more, but neither one where you see like Magic Johnson out, with like media, with everything over and over and over, both Bird and Jordan were kind of to themselves, you know, mm-hmm. like even Bird, he would kind of sit 
for the games. He would sit, but he didn't really talk to anybody. He, he's not a guy that really likes the attention. But he'd be was. on the baseline every game. I mean, I could not that I was at a million Pacers games, but I could tell you where he's going to sit. He was sitting mm-hmm. right behind the basket, and he'd be about seven rows off the floor, and he was there every one I was ever at. The amazing thing is if you told, like, your kids in, like, 10 years, and inter- if Rob ever has kids, we'll see. Um, I do. I just want to see if they have, they have a, a better than a 19 and a half inch vertical when they grow up. Um, but but if you ever showed them Larry Bird and were like, this is one of the top 10 players in NBA history. Like if I showed my daughter and I'm like right here, like she'd be like, what dad, really him? And uh, it, it's crazy. I mean, I, I grew up watching him in Boston. You talk about the trash talk. Like I remember sitting there before a game one one game and um and he's he's doing a shooting contest with a guy named Michael Smith, played at BYU, and just shit talking. I mean, I don't remember how much money he took from him, but it was it was insane. <laughs> just shit talking one liner after one liner. I have a story I can't share on this pod, but I will share with both of you at some point uh that I have with Larry Bird, but it is you cannot ever repeat it. It it is it is at a level that, yes, uh, elite level shit talking. And and the one thing that people forget about Bird is he's one of the best fighters ever playing. You go look at him, he was always ready. And the old school NBA is so different than now. Uh, there wasn't a lot. I mean, Larry Larry was ready to go at any time. Super he fought Lambeer. I oh, mean, yeah. Lambeer was as dirty as anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always – the one thing about – I never saw Larry in person until I started playing with the Pacers. He's a huge dude. Like he yeah. is, he is, I mean, today he'd probably be listed as seven foot. Uh, but I mean, he is a big dude. Give, give me your, to end this, give me your, the night you won the national title. Give me Tyler Hansborough's night after that. Cause I, I wonder like with you, I don't, that night could have gone a, a few different ways. What was that night like for you in terms of partying, uh, sleep, if any? What what city was it in? First of all, where'd you guys win it? Detroit. Yeah. Oh, the worst. The worst city. <laughs> Everybody was like, no. The worst. Uh, it was snowing there. It was snowing there that week. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we didn't stay in that nice of a hotel. Uh, usually, Coach Williams used to be pretty good about putting us in the the best, but. Uh, I remember we won it and there's a, you know, there's a lot of celebrations. And so, you know, by the time you actually get to the hotel, it's already pretty late. And so we get back and my whole family's there, every team's family. And we just have the hotel just going back and forth, having some drinks. I remember running into Julius Peppers, which we thought was really cool and uh, saying what's up to him. And I had uh, my mom, dad, brothers, and I was really close with my uncle, uh, Sean was there. So, you know, everybody was, I was really close with. Uh, and so we we're all celebrating, which, you know, I really enjoyed. And then I remember looking at my brothers, there's a casino right across the street. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is getting kind of late after a few drinks. It's like, guys, luck doesn't get better than this. Let's go across the street and just put it on the tables. We walk in there, boom, lost a hundo, boom, lost a hundo, boom, lost a hundo. And I, I remember looking at him, I was like, man, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> Luck doesn't amazing. translate to the uh, casino, Man. Tyler. No. Totally Man. different deal there. Whatever <laughs> yeah. happened before doesn't matter. That's funny. Well, listen, uh, we appreciate you joining us. This was fun. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm glad you're doing well. You're killing it in the media world. I mean that. Um, 
I, I did not, I've told you this before, I did not ever expect uh, Tyler Hansborough to be in the media in any uh, form, but uh, you've done it. You've done it well. Um, and honestly, I do. I think you have a, a bright future in, in that, probably brighter than in pickleball, if I had to guess. <laughs> I don't well, know. I He's working it. to that pickleball game. That's coming. That's coming. Pickleball is the most important thing in my life right now. But no, <laughs> hey, hey, thank you guys. I've really enjoyed it. And I, I like both of you guys. I like listening to you. So I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Tyler. All right. There you have it. Tyler Hansborough, legend. Uh, and again, uh, Hummel, maybe you'll, uh, you'll, you'll break a better record than eating pizza. We <laughs> <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.